Thank you, Pastor Tony. Happy fourth Sunday of Advent Christ Church. Good morning. It is good to be in worship with you all today, and I hope to see many of you all sometime during the next 48 hours. Again, it's going to be a whirlwind, but I, uh, I remind you that it is going to be a beautiful time to celebrate the occasion of Christ coming into our lives and into our world. As Pastor Tony said, we've been finishing up a series on angels, and we've gone through the angel's visit to Mary, and we've gone through the angel's visit to Joseph, and last but not least, we have the angel's visit to our friends, the shepherds. But I want to start with the last line of that passage before we dig further into the story. Shepherds say, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. That is the driving line in this passage, and I think it's one that we all can relate to when we think about what it means to live out the gospel life, all packed and condensed in that very line that the shepherds say. What's important to remember is that these aren't words spoken by the mouths of the powerful and the prestigious. These aren't words spoken from the Emperor Augustus, the one conducting this great census in the backdrop of this familiar story to us. These are words spoken out of the mouths of those who remind us that a credential and a comfortable income mean nothing when it comes to living out the gospel life. Think about it. These shepherds were the outsiders. These were the nobodies in society. These were the ones for whom God perhaps felt the most distant. How did that story begin? In Luke chapter 2, in that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Angels bring God's light into human darkness. What do I mean by that? Think about it. This whole birth story is clothed in darkness, clothed in scandal. Think of the darkness present in Joseph's heart, the reality that he could so quickly walk away from all of this right then and there. And then there's the darkness abiding in and with the shepherds. The night that God brought hope and good news to a group of outcasts. These shepherds were ruffians throughout the centuries. They were the lowest on the totem pole. This was their livelihood, day in, day out, tending to the needs of their flock and the needs of their sheep. They were probably oblivious that a census was even taking place, if we're honest. Perhaps they were even oblivious to all that was going on in the politicking of their community. Maybe many of us would envy that position. But they are on the outskirts, the edge of society, wondering what may happen in this dark time. And so they watch, they wait, they anticipate with expectation. For shepherds, you see, inhabited the darkest reaches of society. We're told that the angel that visits the shepherds is no ordinary angel. 
And if you were with us last week, Pastor John introduced a lot of different kinds of angels that are out there. And this was the angel of the Lord. The one who Pastor John told us is, symbolizes often the manifestation of God in human likeness. In other words, an appearance and feeling of God right there present with us. We have a word for this in the theology world. It's called theophany, which means an appearance of God. And we can think about the burning bush. We can think about the pillar and cloud and fire that guided the Israelites out of Egypt. And we can think about this very encounter the angels have with the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appears to them. But for the shepherds, this was not just any ordinary experience. They're not just in awe about this, but we hear that they are terrified. The image before them is one that reminds us of what heaven and earth look like when they meet. And no greater sight is that reality than God dwelling among us and making home in the darkness of a manger, in the darkness of a corrupt community. Darkness isn't simply a physical reality, but a spiritual one too. What do I mean by that? There are many times where darkness seems to capture that feeling we have when we feel that we are estranged from God. And whether that's our own decision or own choice, or whether we've convinced ourselves for, to fall for this delusion that God has abandoned us, we all have walked through moments of spiritual darkness. The shepherds, we might ask the question, were they even thinking about God that night? Was God even a glimmer in their mind, a passing thought? Did they have that relationship with God? Did they know the same God that came to Mary and that came to Joseph? Did they know that God? We talk about spiritual darkness, and I think of my first Christmas home from seminary, which was a walk through spiritual darkness for my community back home. You see, on Christmas Eve, back in 2013, I was preparing to give a sermon to my home church. And you may be wondering, why did the, the intern get to do the sermon and not the pastor? A few months before that, our pastor back home had received an unexpected diagnosis of stage four brain cancer and had asked me to preach. Um, he wasn't doing well, and I noticed very quickly the struggle he was having becoming more like the sheep and less of the shepherd to the community. And this weighed heavy on me because this was not a message that I wanted to give. And, you know, you're, you imagine this community that's trying to experience the joy that is the Christmas story, but at the same time, they're also grieving the loss of their pastor. A week before, he passed away. And I found myself praying to God, asking for the meaning of that Advent story to seep into the life of that community. But the thing that struck the most for me was as he neared the end of his life, he had decided that he wanted a devotion written, and he started writing his thoughts down, and he wanted to call it Whistling in the Dark, A Journey from Hope to Joy. It would be an Advent devotional. 
And the reason he called it that is because he remembers walking along the creek with his grandfather. And his grandfather used to whistle as it got dark outside the hymn, Standing on the Promises. Anybody grow up with that hymn? Yeah. And I can't help but think of that image in relation to this group of shepherds just minding their own business, doing their own thing on the outskirts of Bethlehem, and I have to imagine that they might have been whistling. Because when I think of whistling, I think of anticipating something expected, or perhaps unexpected. I think of the the way that whistling doesn't really have a clear beginning or a definitive end. It's almost intentional because we trust and we hope that some sort of good can break into that darkness, amen? But an angel of the Lord shows up to them that night. An angel breaks into their world. And even if the earth feels as silent as it did, the resonance of God's words that night made themselves apparent made themselves known to this group of outsiders, of strangers. And then they hear that familiar refrain that shows up throughout the Christmas story, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Here's the rest of what they had to say. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of the great joy of all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Just in this encounter with the angel alone, we learn many deep and powerful things about what's about to happen. The first is that the angels offer us a renewed understanding of God. What do I mean by that? God could have chosen any opportunity, but God chose to enter into this world in the most vulnerable of conditions imaginable. Do you know what a manger was? A feeding trough for animals. And of all possible circumstances, you entered into the life of this man and woman engaged to be married to show us your love, to show us that gift. And the shepherds are told to have joy about this. How can this be a joyful occasion to go to? Who would want to go see something like this? What sparked their curiosity about this event? What drew them there in the first place? The second thing we learn from the angel is this, that this is the first declaration we have in Scripture that Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed one. We hear talks of Messiah in the lives of the people of Israel. Many of them to this day have messianic expectations. Some of them thought this Messiah, this person that God would send to deliver them, would be like a king like David, someone who would establish order, someone who would establish earthly rule. But then there were others who thought this Messiah would be a priest-like figure, somebody who could intercede on behalf of the community, someone who would meet the people's needs as they atoned for their wrongs. Others went as far as to say this person would be a zealot, a rebel rouser, somebody who would overturn the status quo. 
But this was a bold announcement that Jesus is that Messiah. Mary's not the first to hear that statement, nor is Joseph. But to think that the first to hear that announcement are the people for whom probably God was the farthest from heard that statement and saw that God would deliver them to and extend to them that gift of love and salvation. That's powerful if you think about it. Powerful. And the last thing is this. This good news has far reach. Good news of great joy for all people. The least, the last, the lost, the broken, the rich, the poor, and everyone in between. And we see that with the shepherds, just how broad God's gift of salvation can be. That God could draw in the unlikeliest of shepherds into that message too. And I don't know about you, but there's one detail we often can overlook. And that is what the angel says, to you has been born. Not just to Mary, not just to Joseph, but to you. To you has been born this day a child who would change the world. That's the thing that motivates me in this season is that God would do something so profound and so deep like that for us. In spite of all our brokenness, God showed up to us. And as if one angel isn't enough to make that clear, all of a sudden, many angels, an army of angels, a heavenly host surrounds the shepherds, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. This is the part that gets me, because this is sort of our standing invitation to go and tell In many ways, the shepherds are our precursors. They're the ones who set that path for us. The angels have given them this invitation to not just go and see what's happening, but to then go and tell others about it. Which brings me back to this point I made earlier about the way the shepherds model for us what it could look like to live out the gospel life here on earth. How do they set that tone for us? That this is not just something that's happened in the past, but it's something we are always looking toward, Christ coming again into our world. So how did they react to this? What did they do next? Here's what they did. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
And so they went and told the people around them. But I don't think living out the gospel life is something that we can nail down in a few sentences, let alone a book. Because it's always something we're striving toward. It's always something that we're working on in our hearts and in our lives. How we can make room for that gift from God and how we can extend and share that gift with others. You see, the shepherds are a reflection of God working through us to restore hope to a weary world. Isn't that our responsibility in all this? Now that we've experienced it for ourselves, why not tell others that same good news? Why not share that with a loved one or with a neighbor or a stranger? If we look around carefully, there are often many in our community who live out the gospel life, but have we noticed them? Have we seen the way that God works in and through them. Bonita and Lance were once strangers to me, and they were once strangers to several people in this church. Bonita and Lance live along Route 1. They live in a home that uh, they also take care of during the day. They clean the home. This is a group home. They take care of it. They take after the residents there. But they are one of the stops we make along Route 1. Bonita, 12 years ago, was a recovering drug addict or was a drug addict, and has been 12 years in recovery. And the moment I met her a few months ago or last month, I talked to her about her story. And she said, you know what? I've known darkness. I've known what that darkness is. But in spite of that darkness, I have seen time and time again a God who has been faithful to me and Lance. And the moment we offered her a warm coat, she said, somebody else needs to experience that love that we've experienced. Somebody else needs to experience this faithful God that we've come to appreciate and love. And those are just two people who many people in society would often push to the edges like the shepherds, but for whom the message of God's goodness and God's faithfulness resonates in their life in spite of where they've been and what they've known. And so I leave you thinking this thought. In many ways, you and I are like these shepherds because we are always standing on this promise that Christ will come again. That's our story. The story doesn't just end with the manger, friends. The story goes beyond that. You know, the irony in, in all this that God would show up to shepherds is, is ironic because when we think of the images we used to talk about Jesus, there's one that often comes up to the top right away. Anybody know who that is or what that is? Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus identifies himself with the lowest of lows in society and calls it good. Redeems that role. And we get to be the ones to carry the weight of that message, to tell others about the good shepherd who watches over the sheep. Because if God can do good in the darkest of places like a manger, and we know and we trust that God certainly can overshadow the death and the darkness of a cross, then this is good news of great joy for all. 
the shepherd's message to us is to live to tell the story. And so as you live out the gospel life, may the Christmas story motivate you and inspire you to live to tell what we have seen and how it keeps us talking about it. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the ways that you are breaking in with your light into this world, for the ways that that light overshadows the darkness, the way you meet us in all things, the way that you met and walked with these shepherds as they went to tell your story. God, we thank you for the gift that none of us feel that we could ever deserve, the gift that none of us can ask for, and that is the gift of salvation through you. And so may we this Christmas season be mindful of the needs of those for whom the gospel life may just be a simple thought as we walk with them in telling that story and sharing that story with everyone. I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen.